Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Before you're seated, let me say very quickly and then I will read. I would be remiss not to thank this church in particular for your prayers and your help in the, in the loss of my son. I know that I'm not the only person that has ever had a loss. And I'm not the only person that's ever lost a child. I understand that. I, during this time, I found it hard to pray for my own son because I thought, Lord, I speak to so many people whose problems are just as important as mine. And how can I take my problems and place them above theirs when they're counting on me? And it, 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 it caused me grief. And so I, I, I did not do that. I, I tried to keep everything in perspective. I think that we sometimes think that there's a criteria or there's a certain things we have to do in order to make God move. God knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. You can sing a song and be completely out of key. Sing the wrong tune. But because in your heart you're making melody to God, He understands. And His blessings come not based upon your talent or your ability to do something, but based upon what's inside of you and how you're communicating with Him from here. God don't listen to everything that's communicated through this thing, but he gets everything that comes out of here. So during this time, I, I've never in my lifetime, and no, I'm not a young man. In the 49 years that I have been in the ministry, I've never experienced anything like that. And I've heard all the stories about you know, people try to categorize who do you want to die the most or, you know, and which one's going to hurt you the most and so on and so forth. And, you know, you can't answer questions like that. The loss is based upon relationship. I know people that have never, haven't seen their brother or sister in 30 years or they've been fighting with a relative for 15 years and don't speak to them and they die and it's, you know, a few little crocodile tears find their way to the bottom of their chin and it's over. And then I've seen people that had a friend that was better than anything they'd ever had in their life and they lost that friend. So loss is based upon relationship. But I've never, in my lifetime, I've always been, I'm not a control freak. Anybody that says that's telling a story. I'm not a micromanager. I believe in people and their ability to make decisions. And I've always been in control of me. And I, I've always been able to handle emergencies. And if, I mean, death, houses burning down, all, all the things throughout my life that I've been involved in, I've seen a lot of death, stabbing, shootings, all of that stuff from my past experiences and, and background. And I always was able to be in control when everybody else was sometimes ready to throw in the towel. But when I lost my son, I lost control. And I thank God for my wife who was hurting as bad as I was, but she, she helped me. And there were uh, thousands of people that contacted me, and I'm not exaggerating. Thousands, emails, texts, I couldn't answer them all, cards. Envelopes. Some of them were churches would send envelopes filled with cards. And, and I appreciated it all so much. And I read every one of them. Every one of them. But it, during that time, I, I wasn't myself. And she helped me. And of course, the last several months, we, I didn't travel since back late winter, early spring. I did no traveling. And that's, you know... And uh, there were a handful of churches, this is one of them, that lifted me up off the ground, 
put me on their shoulders as if to say, hey, we'll carry you. And I, I tell you, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, you have no idea what you're missing. And I think a lot of us don't realize just how important that is until we need him. And he's not there. The church is the greatest thing on earth. The greatest thing on earth. I would not trade it for anything. And I would not trade your friendship, sir, for all the money you could stack in this building. Rick Kiley is my friend. He has been with me through emergency up on top of emergency for the last over 12 years now. And I appreciate that deeply, you and your wife, thank you. My wife reminded me 35 times that I must not forget to tell all of you people, thank you. Thank you from our hearts, thank you. And I love you very, very much. And my son got to attend church here with me before he died. And it was a great time. And I thank you very, very much. Now, having said that, I would like to read from the book of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. And verse number 3. I ain't going to read it all because I don't want to keep you here all day. <laughs> You're biased. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then skip to verse 5. And what happens here is this the, is the story of Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night because he was a chief among the Pharisees. He was a ruler. He could not come during the daytime for fear of retribution from his peers. To come and see Jesus could have cost him everything. But he took a chance at night, hoping he wouldn't be seen, and he comes and asks Jesus, what, what do I need to do here in order to experience whatever it is you're offering? That was the essence of his question. And Jesus answered and said, no man can see the kingdom of God. You can't see it unless you're born again. Then in verse 5, after Nicodemus has posed a very logical question, he says, can a man enter into the womb of his mother again, the second time? Jesus replies with verse 5, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and the spirit. The only change in those two verses, verse 3 and verse 5, is one, he says, no one can see the kingdom of God and the next one, he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God. So not only can you see it from a distance, you can't get into it unless you're born again. And that was the answer to Nicodemus' question. In, Roman, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, one verse, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. You can be seated. Thank you. I, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And don't worry about all these papers I spread out up here. I've got a song and I'm not going to sing. But I've got the words to a song and, and I've got some other things up here that they only affect me. I'm, I'm not going to go through all of that and we'll be here till sometime this evening. I'm not going to do that. There's somewhere between, depending on which statistic you pay attention to, there's somewhere between 325, 350 million people in the United States. And everybody argues that America is a Christian nation. And that we're 70% Christian. That's the number that nearly all of the statisticians have agreed on it. There are 70% of all of America is Christian. 
Now, Christian is a, a, a very misused, abused word. Now, dogs can be Christians. Uh, naked people shooting heroin can be Christians. And I should clarify, they can be Christians, but they can't be Christians and still be naked and shooting heroin. Because there has to be a change. Jesus wanted it understood that you're a sinner when I find you, but you have to change after that. That's why he told the woman at the well, he said, where's your husband? She said, I don't have one. He said, you spoke the truth, but you've had five and the guy you're with now is a live-in. He's not your husband. And man, I mean, he read her right down the row. And he ends the conversation with these words. Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Stop right now. That's the coming to Jesus Christ. The sin stops the glory and the majesty of God begins in your life. The, the old is put away, the new takes over. And you cannot put old, new wine into old wineskins. So there has to be change in order for you to become a Christian. And you can't just confess your way into Christianity. There's change. That was the purpose of John 3, 5. He said, except a man be born again. That's the change part. And this is where Christianity has become confused. So I did the math. I cannot do algebra, nor can I do geometry. I don't even understand it. I, I look at that stuff, it means absolutely nothing to me. But I can tell you how much money you owe me when I work. And I know how fast I'm going in the car. I can do simple math. And in fact, I excelled in simple math. They used to have me, they would give a, a long list of about a hundred or so figures, you know, $6.30, $15.40 and all that. And they would have me race the guy doing it on a calculator and me doing it in my head. I could add and I could subtract and I could divide. So I did the math here based on, you know, about let, let's say 300 million, which is short. But if there are 300 million people in America and 70% of them are Christians, I multiplied. I came up with 210 million people. That means there are 210 million Christians in America. Isn't that exciting? I wasn't excited either, so you're not hurting my feelings. Because Jesus said, the only way that you can spot a Christian, the only way you can know for sure, is not by where they go to church, it's not the building they hang out in, it's not how they dress or wear their hair. It's none of that. Although all of that is a reflection of who and what you are. He said the only way you can spot one of them is by their fruit. By their fruit shall you know them. So again, I got to looking at this. You know, had a, I'll tell this real quick, a little sidebar. I had a guy got up one night and introduced me to speak. And he said, we're happy to have him here. And you know, it was a large, pretty large congregation. He said, this guy, more people want his CDs than anybody that's ever preached here in 20, 25 years, ever how long it was, a long time. Man, I said, over, oh, I kind of swelled up a little bit. I did that Barney five sniff. Like, I really did something. Son, that's a pretty good compliment. If he'd have stopped there, it'd have been a real good compliment. And he said, and for the life of me, I can't figure out why. <laughs> All the air went out. And I thought, I can't believe he just said that. He said, because he always preaches the same thing. Man. I didn't say nothing. I got up and preached. We had a wonderful service. Afterwards, we went out to eat and I told him, I said, you know, that compliment you gave me tonight. I said, you said, I, I always preach the same thing. I said, did it ever occur to you that if you'd get it right, I wouldn't have to do that? 
So I think sometimes we do preach the same thing, but I noticed that everywhere Jesus went, he preached the same thing. Everywhere the disciples went, they preached the same thing. Everywhere the apostles went, preached the same thing. Why? Because they wanted everybody to get on the same page. They wanted everybody to have the same message. They wanted everybody to understand, quit being confused. God's not the author of your confusion. God's the author of your eternal salvation. God's the author of the good things in your life, not the confusion. So get on the same page, everybody. If there's a Christian church in Bangladesh and a Christian church in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, they ought to be on the same page. There ought not be an argument. I ought to be able to travel to Bangladesh and feel the same presence of the Holy Ghost of God as I feel here this morning. If I don't, something's wrong because God's not the author of confusion. Neither is God divided. So I have to look at everything in the book. This is all I have. I don't have nothing outside of this. This is all I got, this book. So every Christian builds what they believe on that book. So I have to look for fruit. When, when I first began this tour, I, I guess it's a tour. That's what the, these rock singers and things call it when they travel all over the country. I, if it's a tour, when I first, many years ago, I, I had this dream or vision, whatever you call it, and I shared it with my wife and I said, God's called me to do something specific. Now, I'd been a preacher a long time, but not in, that, not in what I was going to do. And it was to travel the whole United States. And I've been doing that for years and years and years. And, and I felt like that the, the good Lord moved upon me and ever how God communicates with people. He speaks to their minds, speaks to their heart, and has on occasion spoken in audible voices. But to me, he moved and spoke into my heart. And he said, tell the people everywhere you go that you must first identify the church. Now, the church is not this building. That's, I say that every time. It's one of them things I say over and over again. Because there's always somebody new that, that ain't, oh, I never thought of it that way. While the old folks are sitting there and saying, oh, he's going to preach that again. I'm thinking again, well, if they would get it, if I could just get them to get it. I could get something new maybe. And so I, I started traveling and I said, look, the church is identified by its fruit. That's what you look for. If you're looking for a church, so I, I need a place to settle down, you know, me and the wife and the kids. Folks drive around. You know, there's folks that drive up and down and they shop with their eyes for a church. At the, boy, that's, look at that. Oh, they've got a tennis court. Water in the back, we can feed the ducks. And that's how they shop for a church. That's not how you shop for a church. The term church, when it was identified it was a building, didn't exist in the old days. Church meant people. The, the word ecclesia, which means that's what God's church is built upon. It means people. That if you take the people out of this building, the church is gone. Because you're the temple of God. He said, know ye not that you are the temple of God. Your body is the temple of God. It, it houses the spirit of the Lord. It's not the building where I'm housed in. God lives in people. He said, you know, I, I know you or you know me because I'm with you. But I'm going to be in you. When I come back after the resurrection, I'm going to get inside you. It's not going to be a long distance relationship. It's going to be a from the inside out relationship. And the only way I can identify that is by the fruit. There has to be fruit. And the second thing he said was, and tell them that the only way you can identify them is by how the church is run, how the church is organized. He said, I'm going to give, in the book of, of, of Ephesians, he said, I'm going to give apostles and prophets and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. And their job will be to oversee how the church operates. They're to make sure that we don't get this confusion thing in there. So quit shopping for churches based on how big the building is, or how beautiful, or what their crowd is, or what the name or the logo is out there. That means nothing. It's the doctrine in the pulpit, the experience on the pew. That's the kind of thing that God looks at. God's looking for people that have relationship. 
So this 210 million Christians in America, wherever they are, I want to I want to share their fruit with you. Oh, I got lots of time, but I'm going to get through early today. Let's see the fruit of the 210 million Christians. 33,000 people a day stricken with a sexually transmitted disease. Over 1,000 new cases of AIDS every week in America. Doing a good job. A murder every 31 minutes. A violent crime every 22 seconds. A rape by force every six minutes. And that's a very weak figure there, I might add. A robbery every 12 seconds. A burglary every 14 seconds. A property crime of some sort every three seconds. Rapes that go unreported and, and, and rapes of other caliber every 19 seconds. Man, our fruit's really blossoming, isn't it? That's almost depressing. Because if that's the church, if that's what a Christian nation does, if, if, if we produced 84,000 rapes in 2014, 14,000 murders in 2014, 8,200,000 crimes against property, 1,200,000 violent crimes, 5,800,000 thefts, 1,700,000 burglaries, 741,000 assaults, 325,000 armed robberies, Nice tree. What would you like to have of the fruit today? Oh, give me the robbery. And folks say, well, we're a Christian nation. I watched the riots in the lobby of the hotel yesterday going on up around Boston and, and the one from Charlottesville. Christian nation. That's the production of a Christian nation. The truth is, folks, America is not a Christian nation. That is a terribly, terribly, terrible lie. We were built on Christian principles. The United States Constitution was scribed by people that had Christian principles. And it is very safe to say that in 1774, five and six, seven and eight, when it took all these years to get all this together, this was indeed a Christian nation. But through time, like so many other people, we've become something else to the point now that we have dwindled to where we are. And we haven't, folks, we haven't seen anything yet. Nothing. It's going to get so much worse. I got to paint this picture as dark as I can. It's going to get so much worse. The public schools have already turned. They're, they're government-run schools. So the way the government goes is going to be the way everybody goes. It used to, it used to be that the, whichever direction that the church of Jesus Christ took, the whole country went that way. That's changed. Now we're going another direction. How bleak is that? Well, it's going to get worse. It, it, it will get worse because laws are going to be enacted and, and everybody's afraid for their safety. So the, the great state of Wisconsin uh, was one of the first states to test implanting of the chip so that they could identify you with a number or a, a, some kind of a mark. And so we realize that every prophecy in the Bible has come true. There's, do you know there's never been a prophecy in the Bible that failed? Ever. Do you know that over the, over the 3,000 promises that are made in the Bible, all of them almost have come to pass and we're working on the rest of them. So you can't refute the Bible. It's still the number one selling book in the world. No book outsells the Bible. Why? Because deep down in the heart of every man and woman in this country and countries abroad, there's something that's stirred up down there. There's something that's not right. They're confused. They're confounded. They're hungry. They don't know what to do. And as things get worse, we see a need and we start discovering 
creating needs. Sometimes God has to create need in our hearts because we, if not, we don't need anybody. We don't need anything. We'll take care of ourselves. We know what to do. We'll depend on our own resources. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and leans to his own understanding. That's wrong. We need to lean on God. We've got to get his will. Find out what it is that he wants. That's what's going to happen to people. We're going to start to turn back to God again. But this one, this time it's, it's, it's different than any other time in American history. This is the biggest upheaval this country's ever experienced. Ever. There's nothing else even comparable. We've never seen unprecedented lawlessness and crime and hatred like we see it now. It's Remember the brother against brother thing? All of that. Remember that? We said, yeah, that was during the Civil War. Forget the Civil War. The Civil War is going to be a blip on the radar screen as composed compared to what's happening here. It's bad. But it's not going to be the North and the South. That's not going to be the problem here. Our segregation, has it, it's went from race to class. And isn't it amazing that at the close of the day, it's all seeming to, they're circling the wagons in every, in every, plea, every place and, and everything that you, it's, it's because, but they're headed toward the church. The last bastion of free speech is right there, right here. This is it. There, that's what they're fighting over, free speech. This is it. This is the last stop right here. Last bastion of free speech. And right now, the church of Jesus Christ has more liberty than we have had in my lifetime. For us to be silent, we are fools. We ought to be skipping down the sidewalks. We ought to be in every grocery store. You ought to be in every Walmart. You ought to be sounding off like a trumpet. You ought to be sharing what you have, your Christian experience with everybody you can come in contact with. Why? Because time is going to catch up with us. And the opportunity is going to close. The fools say, oh, no, no, no. The Republicans are in office. Oh, boy, that's a comfort. I feel better already. And they're going to hold, they're going to hold it for another eight years. Bank on that. Bank on that. Everything will start to go the other direction. Take this any way you want to. You can go home and say, well, we heard a prophecy today. Say, call it whatever you want to. It's going to start going the other way. It's going to decline. This thing, is, it hasn't even begun to fester. Do you know how many race wars we got going on in America right now? It's no longer a black and white thing. It's a brown and white thing. It's an Asian thing. It's a Russian thing. It's a Muslim thing. We're a race every, every, every turn of the corner. We're a race and... Everybody wants to have their own religion. Everybody wants to have their own religion. And Americans, oh, we're so smart. We have more. Well, we, we're a lot smarter in America than what them people in third world countries are. Oh, yeah, sure you are. I've preached in them third world countries. I can tell you one thing. We ain't smarter than them folks. They actually identify sin. <gasps> yeah, ouch, that's what I say. I was in one... I asked them, I said, how many people in your country, country of about 25 million people, I said, how many, how many, the AIDS virus, how's that affecting your country? They said, oh, we have it through the interpreter, they told me, so oh, we have it here. I said, really? I said, well, how bad is it? He said, see up on top of the mountain? And he pointed, and I said, no, I don't, I don't see up. What's up there? He said, see the house? I had to look real close, man. There was a little bitty house, way up, on, I mean a real mountain. Not a hill, a real mountain. I said, oh yeah, I see it right there. He said, yes, we have one there that has AIDS. I said, where's the rest of them? He said, oh, this is the only one. He said, because we, we don't allow them to come down here. I'm not saying that you should do that, please. Don't leave here and say, oh, you ought to hear what he preached over there. Identify all the people has got AIDS and put them in a home. He said that. He said, because it's wrong, it's, it's not to be. It should not be among They identified sin and the cause of it. And I'm not saying they did the right thing. I'm simply saying other countries are far ahead of us. We don't do that. We tag everything. And we tell the person, says, oh man, I, you know, I don't want to be around that sort of thing. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Racist. Hate monger, you're full of hate. 
I want to come in as a Muslim or an ISIS warrior, let me say that, and I want to kill you, but I want to live here with you. And if I say anything, uh uh-oh, he's, look at him, hate monger. You spread your hate everywhere. How do you tell me I'm a hate monger while you're chopping me up with a sword? Now, the only reason I'm telling you that is to tell you that our fruit identifies us. There are nine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. Nine. This was the other way to identify the church. Nine. Love, joy, peace, kindness, all that stuff. Faith. That's all part of the nine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. Then he said, I'm going to give you nine spiritual gifts in the church the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues and interpretation, the gift of, the, the, the gift of healings, the gift of miracles. I'm going to give you all of this so that the church can be self-sufficient because you shouldn't have to depend on the world. But we do depend on the world. You that are in this building, you depend on the world. We get sick. We don't call the preacher and say, could you get some saints and come over and camp out here tonight and stay, stay here until, until we, we get healing? Remember the guy you told me about? The lady, storm, you're out in the middle of the lake and it's about, you, that, you're worried because you said, man, lightning gonna start striking this water. I gotta get out. And this woman said, no, I gotta be baptized in the lake. And you're saying, in your mind, you're not saying it to her. Boy, you wanna get her under. I baptize in Jesus' name. Because of the lightning, the storm, he did this. This is a true story. And when he got her up out of the water, she's worshiping, praising God, but the Holy Spirit, she still hasn't received that. I may be telling a story you've never told here. I don't know. And she says, he said, well, let's get out of this water. Come on, we gotta get out of there. That's not looking good. This is the mother of all storms. We gotta get out. And she said, no, I'm not leaving until I get the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the gift of faith because it went to work in him. He had faith for her. She received the Holy Ghost in that water. Am I correct? We don't do that sort of thing much no more. You know, we'll anoint with all, God, touch them and save them. God, if you don't heal them in this life, heal them in the next one. We'll see you. We're headed to Starbucks. Where's God? Why isn't God showing up anymore? Oh, God always shows up. Unfortunately, there's certain things you have to do in order to move God into a position that he does what you're asking him to do. Herein lies our problem. We read the book, we know what we're supposed to do, and we know what it takes to get done what we want done. We're not willing to do it. So we find other ways to do it. Well, you know, I don't want to do it that way. I hate it when I'm sitting with somebody and I say, man, you got a Zantac? I've actually had this happen, not more than once. You got a Zantac? I said, if I knew what it was, I could answer that. Now I've learned since then. You know, I watch people, I'll be sitting around with with God-fearing, Holy Ghost-filled people, born again of the water and the Spirit. They'll be sitting around, he says, man, you got any pain pills? Yeah, I got some in here. What kind are they? Are they a prescription? Oh, good, they'll be strong. Give me one of them. Nobody mentioned God. Seven out of 10 Americans are on prescription drugs. Five out of 10 are on two or more. He said, no, we're Christians. We believe in God. Not as much as you do that. I'm not telling you those are bad things. I'm not telling you medical science is a failure. I'm simply telling you Jesus Christ should not be our last resort. He should be our first response. Don't don't wait till they're telling you you got 85 minutes to live before you say, I got to get a hold of God. I'm going on a 43-minute fast. Folks, we need God now. We need him in reality. We need relationship with him. Not a relationship that lasted four days. A relationship that goes every 24 hours. And then you start it all over again. Same repeat. Everything you did today, do it again tomorrow. Every day is a day to die. It's a good day to die. Die out to sin. Die out to self. Forget what the devil's trying to pump into your life and say, no, sir, today, God, is going to be my first response. That's going to be my first response. I'm going to have him at the top of the list. I want to have him on my mind in the morning when I get up. I want to have him on my mind tonight when I go to bed. I want 
going to put him first in my life. I'm not going to take second place. I'm not moving to the back seat. I trust him. I trust him. I was, pardon me, Brother Kylie, I told you this last night. I haven't talked much about this story, but recently, I say recently, about three years ago, I had to rent a car. I was up here. My van had broken down. I had terrible time. It took Chrysler over a year to get it right. And so I had to rent a car. And there was a family in the church. I don't remember who they were. But they offered to take me to where I rented the car. And it was in Fort Atkinson. So I had to drive all the way out there to get the car. And it was a little Ford Focus, you know, one of them little Cracker Barrel cars. And I got in it and I was coming back. They were following me, broad daylight. And we came to Johnson Creek. And there's an intersection before you get to Johnson Creek, a real busy intersection where that Menards and all that stuff is. And I was in the center lane driving, not paying no attention. I wasn't speeding, 35, 40 miles an hour. My light was green. I just headed on into the intersection, but this peripheral vision. You know, I, I caught it. I saw this car coming, and he was coming fast. And he had no intention of stopping for that light, and he did not stop for that light. And there was nothing I could do. I, I, that car didn't have enough pep to get me out of the way. I actually closed my eyes and gripped the wheel for impact. And broadside on my door, I'm in a car that weighs 12 pounds. And I closed my eyes and, 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 and I was Jesus because I knew I'm done. I'm done. And then all at once I opened my eyes because I felt no impact and I'm on the side of the road. I pulled over and of course there's traffic people and these people that, that are behind me, this family, they follow me. They jump from their car and I run to this little car where I'm sitting in the car and I'm, I'm trying to get my, get, get, get my, my mind. Get, what, what's going on? What just happened here? And, and I'm looking, you know, you're kind of looking around to see if I got body parts somewhere in the car. <laughs> and they run up, they said, Brother Easter, are you okay? Are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I said, what, what just happened here? They said, he hit you. I said, hey, boy, he hit me? They said, yes, and he went right through you. I got out and walked around the car. I said, tell me, how'd that go again? <laughs> he hit you, he went right through you and kept going but I never got hit but they saw me they saw him go through me how did that happen let me tell you when God put his church in motion he didn't leave them down here with nothing to depend on he didn't just take all the weapons say you're on your own everywhere you go God is with you God is with you when you get in trouble God is there when somebody's giving you problems God is there we've got to learn to depend upon the Lord we got to put our trust in God because our trust in man will not help us most of America when laws are enacted against the church, most of America will turn with them. They will go. Don't get it in your head that everybody's gonna rise up, we're gonna have an insurrection. That's not gonna happen. Only, only the biblical term of what's gonna happen will apply. In the book of Revelation, it said there will be a remnant, a remnant. A remnant is a small piece of the whole. For you ladies, it's so. And make quilts. Well, they used to make quilts. Don't make them no more. Why? Wow, Walmart's cheaper. Oh, but the fellowship we had. Used to gather around them old camp meetings. Women would be all out there in a big cluster. All them women together. They'd be shelling peas. They'd bring fresh peas up there and shell them peas and cook them over open fire. They'd have quilts. They'd have all that stuff that they used to make quilts. They'd be making them out there. Doing all kinds of stuff. The kids were learning how to do things. Learning how to men, boys to be men and little girls to be women. We were actually teaching them those things. Now we have camp meetings in hotels. Yeah, our, our camp down in, at Sheraton. Downtown San Antonio. On the Riverwalk. Well, we're going to have a camp meeting this year. I asked them one day, I said... Wonder what they'd do if I walked in that lobby of that Sheraton. 
took my wife in there. She set up one of them things to make a quilt. Then we started shelling peas. And then right there in the center of the lobby, built me a little fire. And when they come over, I said, what are you doing, sir? I said, we fixing, I'm fixing to make a pot of peas like you ain't never had. What would they do? They said, well, you're crazy. No, you know who's crazy? We are crazy, but not because of that. We're crazy because we let all that get taken away from us. We decided we'd, we'd become a microwave church. We'd make everything convenient. The only sin that Jeroboam was ever remembered from, and he was one of the kings. There were two of them that God hated. Jeroboam was one of them. And the only thing that he's remembered for is the sin of Jeroboam. What was the sin of Jeroboam? He built a church where he wasn't supposed to, changed the mode of worship, and told folks, you don't have to go up there to the house of God. Come on down to my place. It don't cost you nothing to get in. It don't cost you nothing to get out. It don't change you, but you got to do everything you wanted to do. Live like you want to. And he created a microwave church and that's why God hated him. Because God doesn't want the church to ever become tainted with the world. If you think it don't cost you something to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, you bought a bill of goods and you've never read the Bible. The Bible is replete. That Bible says that this church is us and that he is in us and that's what makes us the church. You can't get in any other way except to be born again of the water and the spirit. You can't even see the kingdom of God, much less enter into it. So the question arises, well, what is the kingdom of God? What is it I'm trying to see? What is it I'm trying to get into? Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not something you constructed. It's not something you put together. You didn't draw the plans for this. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So you cannot have what the kingdom of God is unless the kingdom of God is in you. And once it gets inside you, it works from the inside out. God, this is, this is what I want. I want people to look at me and see you. I want your presence to draw my family. How many of you in this church would be honest to raise your hand and say, oh, I got so many unsaved loved ones. I've been fighting with them for 15, 20 years. Come on, be honest, be transparent. I got my hand up. Look, look across here. How many people? What if, come on, look at, what, the, what, what about the rest of you? People, that, what if we got some of those people into the house of God? This is the house. This is, houses the people of God. What if we got some of those people down here and we convinced them of this truth and, and they became, your building wouldn't hold them. We're looking for new stuff and we ain't even got done with the old stuff. Now there's a movement going around of people that want to say that the new birth is not necessary. That you don't have to do those things. That that doesn't have anything to do with water baptism. That it has nothing to do with the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And they, they make an argument of it. Their argument is worthless. And so we create these new churches like we've got all over America. You got a bunch of them around here too, to where you can get in that church. Hey, if you, if you want to go say, if you don't like it here, no problem. There's a lot of them you can go to around here. A whole lot of them. I mean, man, big one, nicer than this one. Go down there and they've got, man, they've got everything. They have everything you could want. You go inside, they got coffee shops. My God, they travel, they do all kinds of things. you always got some kind of a program going on to, to keep the youth. We get so caught up in that we gotta do something to keep the youth. Get them filled with the Holy Ghost. Better yet, let the Holy Ghost work through you. Start living by example and let them see the Holy Ghost in you. Let them feel the Holy Ghost in you. Let them feel the Holy Ghost when they walk in this building. You can't draw them, but God can. You can't change them, but God can. But they gotta see it in you. If not, we're gonna be like everybody else. You don't have to do nothing to get saved. Once you did nothing to get saved, you never do anything to get lost again. It's a free ride all the way. Yeah, you had a confession, boom, boom, boom. I'm gonna start my descent now.
I quit. I'm telling everybody this so they'll know me in the future. I said, I no longer am going to say I'm closing. See, it's just now 12.35. I mean 11.35. I'm not closing. Starting my descent. I felt like that was a much fairer and more definitive. I'm starting my descent because I've seen them airplanes, how they'll make their descent. And they'll almost hit the tarmac. And then something changed their mind. They take back off. So I started using, I'm, I'm starting my descent. John 3, 3, John 3, 5. Except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. He can never experience the Holy Spirit. Do you understand me? Please. Is everybody clear on that? Is there, are there any questions? You don't mind me taking questions, do you? Okay. You, the, 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 you cannot see the kingdom of God. Can't enter it. And that's the spirit of the Lord. You can't get it. One lady told me one time, she said, I got the Holy Spirit. I said, how you know? She said, I didn't even know when a guy snuck up on me. I said, what? She said, it snuck up on me. She said, it just snuck up. I didn't even know it was coming. I said, how did you know it was there? She said, well, I don't know. I just felt it. I said, boy, that's good. <laughs> Is this woman an ordained minister over here? I love her. She always helps me. God knows I need help. They don't even know they have it. You cannot possess the Holy Spirit of God and not know you don't have it. Because when you get it, it will start to make changes in you. And if you buck up at them changes, it'll toss you out. So in John 3, 3, John 3, 5, Jesus Christ himself gives us the information that we need to be saved. In the same chapter, we have the most popular verse of scripture in all the Bible, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Same writer, John, same Jesus, same time frame. Same chapters, same book. All of this has taken place of John's writings. And so John, when he wrote that, you know, there's a Bible verse, this little Bible verse, nobody pays much attention to it no more, but it says, everything, let every word be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. So we could apply that right here. Where is the second witness for John 3, 3 and John 3, 5? We got the first one in John John 3. So where's the second one? Okay, the second one's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Unfortunately, we have John 7 where Jesus on the great day of the feast, again, John notes, it says that on the great day of the feast, Jesus said unto them, if any man is thirsty, let him come. If any man is thirsty, now we're back to this water thing. If any man is thirsty, let him come. And he, John 3, 16, believe, believe, believe. And that's what people say. Well, I, don't, I believe. That's enough for me. How do you believe? Well, I, I just believe. I, I just signed the card. I believe. Well, that, that, that don't work. Well, now, wait a minute. Well, fact check me. Get your notebook out. Fact check me. I'll tell you why it don't work. If you didn't have John 7, it would be fine. But because of John 7, it's not fine. If any man is thirsty, let him come. He that believes, we're in sync here. We're still good on John 3, 3, John 3, 5, John 3, 16. We're still good. He that believes on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Explain that, please. Will you tell me what rivers of living water is? Jesus did. He said this, spake he of the Holy Ghost. They that believe upon him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You could not have the Spirit of Christ in you until the Spirit of Christ had descended and then ascended to heaven and came back. That's a fact. And it came to pass on the day of Pentecost. 
when the disciples, the apostles were there, gathered in the upper room. Started out with 500. And it must have been a big room. If not, they were really crowded. But somewhere between there and the day of Pentecost, 380 of them took to the road. Didn't want to wait around. We're still experiencing that sort of thing. Folks just don't hang around. It costs too much. 380 of them left, left 120. You have to go do the math. And so this 120 is in the upper room. They're there somewhere between seven and 10 days. And they're obeying a command from Jesus that said, now some of you, this is just a, a, a reaffirmation of what you should already know. They're, they're there in the upper room because Jesus told them, go and tarry. Go and tarry till you're, you're filled with power from on high. Oh, well, wait a minute. I'm Peter, Jesus, remember? <clears throat> Excuse me. Peter, God, Jesus. I'm Peter, remember? I'm the guy that's cast out devil. I walked on water. Nobody's ever done that, Lord. You know that, don't you? I walked on water just like you did. Only two steps, I know, but nobody else ever did it. But yet Jesus told Peter after he walked on water, Peter, after you're converted. Well, you mean I'm not converted? I'm casting out devils. Miracles are happening because I said so. I have that power, but I'm not converted. See, conversion doesn't mean that you can go do things. Conversion means that you change. Peter's conversion did not come when he was with Jesus, nor did any of the other disciples, the whole 120, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. His mama was there in that upper room. Even the mama of Jesus had to have this conversion. Can you imagine that? But there she was. And about the 10th day, some, something happened in there. I don't know what it was. I don't know what they were doing, nor does anyone else. But something happened that was monumental. And it said they were all in one place with one accord. Now, here's where you folks need to get on board. That's not talking about a Honda. They were with one accord. That means harmony. They all got together. Now, I could stop right there and, and, and do a six or seven day Bible series on getting together because we aren't together. We're divided. We are divided at best all across America. 210 million Christians, all of them believe something different and none of them like each other. That's unity. No, that's not unity. And so all of us have this, but we're divided. Knowing full well that the Bible said a house divided cannot stand. So why does the devil always use this trick of division before he does anything around us? He has to divide us. He'll divide you against your wife. He'll divide you against your children. He'll divide you against somebody on your job. Why? A house divided can't stand. And once you become divided, confusion sets in. And God's not the author of confusion. See how, what an articulate trick that's going on? So you that are here today, would you like to be part of a unique, a very unique group? Would you like to actually be able to wake up tomorrow morning and say beyond a shadow of a doubt, well, you know, I'm sure I'm part of the body of Christ. We don't need no more smoke screens. Folks, we've shouted and danced so many times, it's not funny. But we have to prepare ourselves to meet the Lord. We have to. Brother Kylie, we can't take second best no more. We need the hand of the Lord in our lives and we need it today. Stand with me if you would. I love to go to services where people get excited and, and demonstrate how they feel and what's going on in their life. But folks, the time's gonna come when that's not gonna help us. We're gonna have to have a source for all of that. And it can't be shallow. It can't be selective. It has to be part of your everyday life. The only thing that never changes is prayer and fasting. Those are the only things that never change. If you're here today and, and you're thinking, well, I never had any of those things happen to me like you're talking about. 
if, you're, if you claim to be Christian, then the only source that you have is this. This is all you have. There's nothing outside of this. You're not going to find anything else that directs you into Christianity outside this book. And that's all I'm talking about today is this book. Just this. Well, that doesn't, I don't know if I want to do that. See, see all of this is driven by faith. Faith, all you need is a little bit. How, how do I know if I've got any? Well, you're here. That's a start. Faith brought you here. You could have stayed home. Some did. You could be out camping. Some did. You could be doing a lot of other things, but you're not. You're here. And I'm going to tell you, you might want to re- rethink your position. You that have been around a long time, you might want to rethink your position and start trying to get a little closer. Trying to get a little closer. I'm, I want to get a little closer, a little closer. Because I don't know where this is going. And I know that when it gets wherever it's going, I'm not going to have any options. The only option I'm going to have is this. And if you don't read this, you really are in trouble. David said, your word, Lord, I hid it in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's hidden in your heart? What's the secret of your heart? What's What's hidden there? Have you hid this there? Christianity has become cheap. It's cheap. Joel Osteen has 40,000 in service this morning in Houston. 39,900 of them have no idea what's going on. They just want to get out of church and go to the game. Because they preach nothing. Nothing. Yes, I said that. Nothing. They preach nothing. They're not telling people that they're lost. I'm going to tell everyone in this building today, if you don't know him in the power of his resurrection, it's hard to say that you're, I'm a, oh man, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a true blue believer. You can't be saved because your grandmother was. Salvation's not hereditary. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of your faith. He starts it, he'll end it. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He authored three things. Confusion wasn't one of them. He's the author of your eternal salvation and he's the author of your faith and the finisher. And if he's not, really, what are you? How does faith work? Well, faith means you could kneel at your chair or come down here by the altar. I always suggest the altar because the altar was built for sacrifice. That's what the altar was. I preached in this very church two years ago about the ultimate sacrifice is you. You're the ultimate sacrifice. Present your body, Romans 12:1. Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. So where do you present sacrifices in the Bible? at the altar and the only thing really we have to present since God doesn't accept cattle no more it's one of the impossibilities of God it's impossible for the blood of an animal to remit your sins it's impossible see God does have some impossibilities and it's impossible to please God without faith that's the second impossibility and it's impossible for God to lie that's the next one So God cannot save you except by this book. He can't go outside this book. Why? Because he can't lie. So when, when you hear this man or this man or any other minister of the gospel and he tells you, you, you must be born again. He didn't, he didn't dream that up last night at the pub. That came from the book. And if God goes outside the book, he becomes a liar. I I honestly believe that a lot of churches, God won't send no new people to them because he don't want them to get corrupted. Faith is how you just walk down there and lift your hands up and say, Lord, here I am. I want to get in for the long haul. I'm in for the duration. 
with nobody pumping you, no fast music going, nothing to excite you, just simple faith that says, God, I don't need anything. It don't have to be a good sermon. It don't have to be a good song because you're a good God. I don't need anything else. All I need is you. But I'm willing to present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. It's my reasonable service. Reasonable service. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, in all, through all. One, one, one. And that one is the author and the finisher of your faith. And today you either leave with him or you leave without him. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.